0: Why do so many humans throw good money after bad? Think investing or gambling? Today on Budge, we talk loss aversion with Tom Matthews from Pember Capital on why us humans just can't help ourselves. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you're listening, and let us know what you think in the comments. We've walked away from a lot more than we've taken over because in the not-profit world, what they do is they literally get to that part where they go $100,000 in the bank, half a million dollars worth of redundancy or you know payouts to everybody, and they're just desperate and you have to walk away from that. Your brain
1: that's on autopilot is often right, um, and it's just you trying to unravel, why do I feel like this? And then you start to post-rationalize, I've got this feeling, now I've got to work out why. Um, I'm feeling like this and so then you get this confirmation bias of trying to find all the information that support your instinct. Yeah my instinct was uh, I found Tom uh, just awful.
2: We felt they had a big ego we felt that they weren't open to alternative ways of doing things we declined the opportunity one of our peers ended up investing and they sold that company for over a billion dollars so yeah we were the ones that left kicking ourselves. Before we start Tom I guess the big question is what is private equity? Yeah sure so uh, private equity so what, what we do very Simply, um, we we sort of term ourselves a growth investor. So, what that means is we invest alongside ambitious founders and management teams uh, to help a private company on the next stage of its growth journey.
0: So, so I guess private equity firms they they represent all the epitome of humans, right? You guys are logical. So, Darren is the epitome of being human, but apart from Darren, uh, you guys, you know, you control your emotions, you are logical. Uh, you make really rational decisions. Um, but increasingly what we're seeing with humans is that we, we, don't, we don't necessarily do that. We can have all the data in the world, but often we'll make the same decision uh, irrespective of what the data says. And we often just use the data to kind of validate what we already think. I mean, h- how much of that is true in your sector, do you think? So, so you go out, you see a company you're interested in investing in. How do you go about actually deciding if you want to buy that company?
2: Yes, it's a good question. Um, so we probably have a different approach to others in the market. So as I mentioned a moment ago, we're a, we're a growth investor. So we only look for, um, for businesses that ultimately are growing and that we can help accelerate that growth. So we don't look at any sort of turnaround opportunities. We don't look to pump businesses full of debt and financially engineer a return. Uh, we look for growth opportunities and, and we look for uh, sort of typically founder-run smaller businesses where we can really help make a difference and help a founder on the next stage of the growth. So going back to your question, how how we actually look for opportunities, we uh, we look for markets that, that are growing at above GDP growth rates with sustainable drivers underpinning that growth. So for us, it's about picking, picking the right sector, picking the right niche within this, that sector, And then uh, picking the right company as a platform to embark on that accelerated growth journey. And a lot of that is around people. So making sure we're partnering with an ambitious founder, somebody that we like, somebody that we trust. But I'm sure we'll talk about that shortly.
1: Yeah, brilliant. So, Tom, you're known as the ugliest man in private equity. (laughs) Do you think that's (laughs) driven you forward to succeed? And now you're managing director there, I think.
2: I think that's exactly right, Darren, yeah.
1: You're making up for your deficits elsewhere. I think that's lovely. That's right.
0: Is that that why you bought a big car, Darren? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: (laughs) So, look, what you just described, though, you know, you look at GDP, you look at numbers and what have you. Do you still think most people choose to sell their baby that they've been growing and investing in to you um, because they like you? Or is it just because of numbers? And did they post-rationalise their decision to join forces with you because of that gut instinctive, like, or in my case, repulsion of you?
2: <laughs> Not sure about that, Darren. I remember very vividly that time we went swimming at our Ivy Pool Bar, uh, but we'll talk about that in a moment. No. Um, no it's in answer that. to it's your question. <laughs> Uh, in in answer to your question, I I think it it depends. Um, So it depends on what the the founder or the shareholders objectives are. So, for example, if they are looking to sell 100 percent of their company, so cash out 100 percent, then quite frankly, it just comes down to numbers. It comes down to who's going to pay the highest price for that business probably most of the time. Um, Our model is a bit different. So our model at Pemba is usually, as I said, where we partner alongside a founder and a management team. So what that means in in layman's terms, it's a partial sale on day one by the founder. So Darren, we partnered with yourself and your your previous business. So you sold some of your shares to Pemba. So you de-risked your personal financial situation, maybe use those funds to pay off your mortgage or buy a a lovely uh, farmhouse in Bathurst. Um, and then really brought on board an experienced growth in, investor in Pemba to sort of help embark on the next stage of the company's growth journey um, with the idea of us all working together to grow the business and ultimately achieve a premium valuation in three to five years' time on that second payday. That's what we call our sort of two-payday structure. So in that scenario where it's a partial sale, not 100% sale, i do think the 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 facts the figures the valuation becomes less important and other factors such as you know you're going to be working with with these people for the next 3 to 5 years sometimes even longer than that so do i trust them are they going to be good stewards of my business uh, are they consistent in terms of delivering what they promised um can they help me will they add value to my business will they you know, as a founder, will they look after the key people in, in, in my business, which for a lot of founders, there's a lot of family members that work in these organizations. So I do think it's different, and I do think, uh, yeah, but if it's a partial sale, there's a lot of other factors which probably yeah. become more important.
1: You're spot on. It really did boil down to trust. And I still didn't trust you when I signed that contract. <laughs> I still do you remember me saying I expected as soon as I signed to to go on board with you guys, I expected
0: you out the door. Yeah, <laughs> there's jump, your black bag. Come
1: on your way, son. Clowns to jump yeah. out of wardrobes, yeah. going ah, you fell for it. We we we've got you That's a two way now. thing,
0: though, is it? So so I guess you've probably got these founders that they like said they they they're, they're probably so emotive about their business that they have the issue. Do they trust you? Do you know, this scary private equity firm. You know, because private equity has that reputation. But I, I guess on the other side of it, how do you know whether or not? you could trust that person with your money.
2: How much is that gut instinct, I guess? It's, it's a really good question. And, and it's it's the sort of, you know, it's the key decision that we make because we're investing millions of dollars of our investors' funds uh, into this company. And, and quite frankly, we're backing that that individual and their senior management team. So it's a really important decision for us. Um, we spend a lot of time, as Darren knows, getting to know the people that we're going to partner with. So we do a lot of what we call people due diligence. That involves making mm-hmm. sure there's Didn't strategic, shit, <laughs> cultural alignment. We spend a lot of time getting to know each other. So it's it's not just, you know, one session. It's, you know, we've spent a stories all of that. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We took Darren swimming up at the Ivy Pool bar after a, a very so- social lunch, which was good fun. So it's about, you know, really building trust, really building rapport, understanding can I work with uh, this individual or these individuals over time? Uh, do I trust them? Do I back them? Um, and ultimately, are we going to work well together? So, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's an element of sort of facts, logic, etc., but there's also a huge amount of intuition, getting to know you and, and sort of building that trust. Mm. So have you ever been in a situation where you've just sort of gone
0: this – Okay, I know you have to be careful how you answer this. <laughs> have you ever got right? This is a proceeding. This person is an absolute moron, or probably in better terms, I've just not got the right connection. But
1: well, they did with me. They thought this bloke's a moron, But never the business know gonna... is doing all right. So if we had someone competent there, what could we do with this? <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly right. No. no, no, yeah, we've had lots of those, uh, lots of those situations. Um, and you know we've had some where, quite frankly we got it wrong so we didn't invest in the business because we thought the founder you know was someone that we couldn't work with we, we felt they had a big ego we felt that they weren't open to you know alternative ways of doing things not necessarily that that's always you know important to us um and you know one in particular uh, one of our peers ended up we declined the opportunity one of our peers ended up investing and they sold that company for over a billion dollars. So, yeah, we were the ones that oh. sort of left kicking ourselves. But, oh, really? but quite frankly, you know, a partnership with with a private equity firm or a growth investor like Pemba, it is a long-term commitment. So you do need to like the people that you're going to be working with. It's, you know, I, I joke sometimes that it's uh, it's like a marriage. In some cases, it's longer than a marriage. So, you know, I think mm. that people side is really, really key.
1: Yeah. Do you do that? Because you've acquired quite a lot of firms and do you, do you – but because the, these are professionals at it, whereas you're not. <laughs> no, <laughs> we do no,
0: we mean, do use someone though for a lot yeah. of our advice around this, and we, we, it's almost like you it, do a similar sort of um, background to Tom. But they we're almost like because we're the not for profit. His kind of like pet project, if you know what I mean. Oh, okay. It? Yeah, but um, I guess the difference between our world, not for profits, is you, we we take over companies for free, Tom, which sounds weird. So you're taking over not for profits that are either in, that they come to you at the last minute, we're in an absolute dire straits or one came to us when they just recognized the government was changing the policy agendas. They knew they couldn't grow and compete. So they came to us to be part of us. And then the latest one is just, you know, an organization that, that you know, the, the board and the CEO have been around a long time and want to kind of become part of something bigger. But what we've walked away from a lot more than we've taken over because in the not-for-profit world, what they do is they, they literally get to that part where they go a hundred thousand dollars in the bank, half a million dollars worth of, of redundancy or, or you know, payouts to everybody and they're just desperate, and you have to walk away from that point because they they don't want to release control of it because they're so emotional about this thing they created in the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties. They're so emotional about it, and they want it. They want to go to a company that's got the same values and all the rest of it. When in reality, they should just be going, "Shit, someone take us over and save us from you know owing half a million dollars." Uh, so I think it's a very different. Thing. It's a lot more emotional in my world, you know. This and I guess that's the question then is you know is that balance for yourself between that you know we're in this world of. Data-driven decisions versus this emotive part. Um, do, do, you, do you actually do you think there is a part of you that goes with
2: your gut? Yeah, I think definitely. You know, ultimately, um, you know, what are we looking for as, as an investor? We we start with the market, so we you know we tick the box if it's if it's growing, it's got long-term thematics driving sustainable and above sort of GDP growth in the sector. We look for you know businesses with a differentiation we look for you know, there's a load of other things that we look for um, and then you come to you know the people and unfortunately you know it's always a bit of a gut feel and, and instinct when when you're backing people there's no sort of there's obviously lots of tools uh, that you can utilize and we do use those we I you know we do really a lot of <laughs> a lot of testing we use using this amazing product which uh, by Isha House um (laughs) but ultimately you know it's a leap of faith a lot of the time um and you're backing people and you know sometimes people are dishonest and sometimes you don't make make the right calls do you this is
0: okay crazy we're calling this episode of course mergers acquisitions and superstitions you know people making life decisions life changes on on instinct Do, do you have any superstitions or is there any superstitions in that private equity world which kind of influences things
2: um, I personally, I, so my wife's family are very, very superstitious. I don't really have any uh, sort of personal superstitions. Um, no, it, it is typically in our, in our business, it's a lot more sort of logic based, um, in terms of how, how we make dis- or how we try to make decisions. And then we always, um, sort of have a hypothesis driven approach. So, you know, what, are what, what, what do we need to believe for this investment to be a success? And then we look to test those hypotheses. Through our due diligence process. So it is quite sort of logic and, and, and fact-based and uh, analytical.
1: But then like Einstein, you'd say, is one of the most analytical, logical and fact-based scientists that ever existed who said the only real valuable thing is intuition. Um, and there's a lot to be said, gut, feel, instinct, you know, your system one brain, your, 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 your brain that's on autopilot is often right. Um, and it's just you trying to unravel, why do I feel like this? And then you start to post-rationalize, mm. Mm. I've got this feeling, now I've got to work out why um, I'm feeling like this. And so then you get this confirmation bias of trying to find all the information that supports your your instinct, I, I, I guess. So, um, yeah, my instinct was I found... Um, Tom, uh, just awful. Uh, but, but then uh, the, the wife, for some reason, said, no, go with it. So yeah, I just did that. Sh- shall we sort of um, pivot a little bit with this one to talking about the people you've had to, to work with um, and whether sure. they're... It's um, something your boss, uh, Magnus, asked me once uh, about uh, narcissists and sociopaths um and um, and he was describing you, obviously, but uh, <laughs> but also working with uh, people now there are a lot of downsides to being one or other of those things, which are often used in the same breath, uh, but there are really subtle uh, but important I, I
0: differences, you might explain that someone like me, because um we talk about private equity, you know, and obviously the Gordon Greco Gordon Greco gecko gecko yeah gecko. gecko comes to mind you know that the the, the mother of all narcissists but what is the difference between a narcissist and uh, a sociopath
1: well there's tom narcissist there's, there's, there's you sociopath i leave it to the audience to draw their own conclusions i think the easiest way so you, you've got all these words that you can say about narcissists. narcissist self obsessed all important lacks empathy um, but this is the key difference for me, is that others may be hurt by their actions, but they kind of don't intend it. They didn't mean to. They just didn't even consider those people. And then they're really surprised when a person is offended or hurt or suddenly responds angrily. Um, something you you come across all the time absolutely whereas a sociopath has all of those things as well but they may intentionally hurt other people to get to where they want to go and and so they all sound really negative things but it's a fact that um according to studies that narcissists are more successful and sociopaths as, as business people there's a lot higher prevalence of those in successful entrepreneurs um, have, have you found that? And have you had to negotiate that, Tom? Well, I'm talking to one right now, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, the, the sort of nature of an entrepreneur... I thought, I thought you were going
1: to play it safe. We go, oh, you know, no, <laughs>
2: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Yeah, look, I think, that, yeah, like I say, the nature of an entrepreneur or a founder, you know, these are individuals that... You know, they've they've not followed the sort of corporate ladder, they've taken a risk, they've gone out on their own, they've rolled the dice, they've sacrificed, you know, everything for their businesses. They've put blood, sweat, and tears over many, many, many years in building their companies. They know what they want, they're very typically very task orientated, they're very goal focused, and they're not afraid to sort of, you know, step on a, a few toes along the way. Um, so I'd say it's it's a very sort of common characteristic of a lot of the founders that we come across. We, we are lucky in our sectors um, that we do, you know, for example, we do a, a fair bit in healthcare and training and education. A lot of the founders in those sectors are a bit more sort of uh, mission driven or purpose driven. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say it, it's this sort of universal application for, for all founders, but, you know, I do think it is, it is a, a relatively sort of common trait of some entrepreneurs okay
0: because i'm just looking at the stats you know between four and twelve percent of ceos have psychopathic traits how how do you actually spot them Daz? i mean if there's someone like tom who's who's working in this industry and and you know how how do you how do you spot people
1: well i think you can kind of tell but they can be driven and focused and absolutely um, a lot of it though is based around their ego So it's actually want to be successful so you look at them and like them. They want to have their own podcast uh, so that people admire them uh, excessively. And they can be, in particular narcissists we're talking about, generally uh, uh, charming. Um, And people get caught up in that orbit. They get caught up. People like looking at and being with positive, proactive Forward moving people. I think Elon Musk is yeah. one that people have this almost a cult formed around them. So, we were talking about narcissists and sociopaths. Listen to this uh, description of successful people generally. Um, this is an official uh, document, but um, he is a charismatic leader who inspires people to follow him, a strategic thinker who can master the details. Tireless worker, incredible focus, problem-solving skills, very well liked by his employees, but also to able to make and execute unpopular decisions. Above all, he's an exceptional communicator who can convey a vision to any audience, from Wall Street to the most junior employee. Now you think that's describing you? No, the perfect uh, CEO, really. But what it is actually is um, uh, an official portrait of a corporate psychopath (laughs) Uh, provided by law enforcement.
0: But but how, how is any of that bad?
1: No, but it helps you look out for people. Oh, but actually that's a really good point because being a sociopath or a narcissist... It is bad, isn't it? But there's actually these upsides. Are they the people that have pushed forward our species throughout time, saying, well, sod this, I'm going to try and, and, and use a seed drill, hmm. or invent one, or I'm going to move out of Africa? Hmm. Are they the people that, that have moved forward our species and the rest rest follow, and then we tolerate. Like we know in your um, uh, sector of employment and training, there's a there's a couple of people who definitely say those leaders are, are I narcissists. I don't know who you mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you think, well, bloody hell, they've been successful as a result. But have they got any real friends and true yeah. friends? Uh, can people trust them? And I think with, uh, look, reading up on these is that often these are the people that are great at growing a business, but then they're desperately... Um, when they go to that next level, and this is where your really your experience is really relevant tom is 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 that they need to bring in people to really stabilize and grow that business further while they're a figurehead rather than a, a details person you know
2: <laughs> have you Have you found that, and is that one of the most difficult things? Was without a doubt, the most uh, difficult, difficult thing that we do. So yeah, you know, founders by nature that you know, they've, they've had to do everything themselves in, in their businesses, you know, they've had to be a jack of all trades, from sales to product, you know, to customer success to admin to HR to stock in the fridge full of milk for their employees, you, you name it, they have to do it. And you know that's quite hard to to go from that sort of mentality to, you know, all of a sudden actually giving up a bit of control. So they they do, you know, control is a big, typically a very very big thing for for founders and stepping back, whether that's sort of into a strategic role from the day to day operations altogether, or just freeing them up so they can focus on what they're good at. That it's very hard, um, and yeah. it's something that we spend a huge amount of time on. You know, even yourself, Darren. You know, you sort of transitioning from that sort of, you know, founder role, um, you know, to, to into the ReadyTech group and, you know, the additional support, et cetera, and uh, the additional oversight. I, I can imagine you found it personally quite quite challenging.
1: Yeah, releasing that that control that you had to take hold of whether you wanted to or not. Um uh, uh, and then you just get used to it and you do lose you oh, nobody else will be able to do this as well as I can. Um and I still scrub the toilets in offices. Um, (laughs) It's
2: just for fun these days, right? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's got to have a hobby, (laughs) Darren.
1: Don't you have that quote of of Elon Musk?
0: uh I I do somewhere, but um, ah, if I'm a narcissist, which might be true, at least I'm a useful one from Elon (laughs) Musk, which is probably a good point to end this one um, because there is a bit of hope, though, in the fact that uh, a recent study or, or a few years ago, that as we get older... As we get older, I refer myself and I as a narcissist and sociopath. As narcissists and sociopaths get older, they do actually sort of move away from that antisocial behaviour. So there is hope, I guess, that narcissism and sociopaths. I wonder if
1: it's because they just lose the energy and hope or whether they learn actually other people are important as well.
0: Tom, thank you so much for, for joining us today to talk about um, narcissism, sociopathy and mergers, acquisitions and superstition. Uh, we'd love to have you back again sometime if that's okay. That'd be great. Thank you for having me. Bye much.